The following podcast contains strong language and adult themes and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Behold, Behold. the annals of pestilence. The stories you're about to hear are not real, though they contain elements of the truth. The tales herein might entertain you, cause you to smile, or perhaps cry, or something else entirely. Because this anthology of narratives, some of them connected, others less so, acts as a door to another realm. You are about to board an interdimensional cruise ship en route to comedy, tragedy, and unspeakable cosmic horror. This one-way journey is powered by existential dread and nervous laughter. Once boarded, there is no turning back. The stories you are about to hear are an infection, a narrative Contagion, the word virus. Punk Rock versus the Lizard People. Punk Rock versus the Lizard People is currently available in its unabridged entirety as a novel by Joshua S. Porter. Order the book today on Amazon.com. This story references songs available on playlists through Apple Music and Spotify by searching Punk Rock versus the Lizard People. The Historian 3. Inevitable Destruction The Fermi Paradox addresses the seemingly monumental likelihood that intelligent life exists elsewhere in our galaxy, coupled with the fact that we have zero evidence of any of it. If aliens were out there, we once asked, where the hell are they? But rather than solve the paradox, the arrival of alien life on Earth has further complicated it. Now, one might ask, If there has indeed been alien life elsewhere in the universe, as was most probable, and if said life was capable of colonizing the galaxy, or at least answering our numerous calls, why have they waited until now to arrive at the party? It logically follows that since our alien visitors, the Emi, have long been capable of knocking on our door, they had, prior to November 28, 1974, elected not to do so. Humanity does not know why, other than some passing assurance that the Emi watched and waited for the right time, whatever that means. How long the Emi watched and waited is also a mystery, given that life on their homeworld is millions upon millions of years our senior. How long the Emi have been technologically capable of watching life on Earth is anyone's guess, but it may have been as far back as our earliest pre-wheel hominids, all hairy and grunting around a primitive fire. What we know about the Emi homeworld is also in short supply. A planet called Gaina, well beyond our solar system, but within the Milky Way galaxy. Gaina developed along an evolutionary trajectory not unlike Earth's like Dr. Dale Russell hypothesized. 
Cells showed up, did their thing. Then there were all those gooey, bug-like water things, fish, fish with legs, guild lizards, and so on, all the way up to Tyrannosaurus rex and his much smaller theropod relatives, some of which continued to evolve, besting our smart but still ape-like humanity by a long shot. The history books, of course, use the story of the Pioneer 10 space probe and its amazing little engraved plates to explain how the EMI wound up making their way to Earth. In this story, American scientists are the heroes, and those poor, super-intelligent alien dinosaurs couldn't have made it here without the scientists' special little space invitation. It's a flimsy wash, considering that all one has to wonder is, hey, wait, these interstellar all-stars knew about us and could get here, but they needed an engraving on a space probe to finally do it? Before we stall out in the confusion of the further complicated Fermi paradox, I want to consider a few possibilities. The universe is pretty damn old. On Earth, we've had life for, oh, a bit less than four billion years. We've had intelligent-ish human life for about 250,000 years. But those intelligent-ish humans have only been able to send messages into space via satellites and probes for nearly a century. Even if the EMI and the humans are the only intelligent civilizations left in our galaxy, we may have just missed everyone else, as they died out before we could figure out how to contact them. Look at it this way. 99% of all species on Earth have gone extinct. When you learn this, the realization that the final 1% may be on borrowed time slowly comes into focus. Consequently, maybe a great many alien civilizations have also been wondering, where the heck is everyone? Just before we get the quarter into the phone, our neighbors go extinct, and we go on suspecting that we're alone in the universe. That might explain why only one alien civilization has answered the call. Or, to posit a more troubling theory, consider all that is lost in translation when communicating with aliens. Though the EMI have maintained an extensive presence here on Earth, and though our technological prowess has been turbo-boosted to degrees of sophistication it may have taken us centuries to achieve on our own, how much do we know about the EMI really? Take, for example, the nature of EMI technological integration via SIAD, or the Society of EMI-Assisted Human Development. An EMI innovator named Memra, perhaps the most famous and well-liked EMI public figure on Earth, founded the SIAD. Memra worked his way into public consciousness via seemingly endless patience with Earth's xenophobia, his brand of disarming, self-effacing humor, constant flattery of human achievement, and carefully worded concern for the future of Earth. By the time the Syad was actually introduced to the world, most people would have happily accepted just about any idea at all so long as Memra was behind it. Memra was an innovator, a humanitarian, a philanthropist, a philosopher. Mimra was super space Gandhi. We came to understand that the EMI have access to an Olympic-sized swimming pool worth of knowledge and information, but Earth has only a water balloon to accommodate it. Thus, the EMI must drip the data at a rate so slow that the balloon itself grows without exploding. The Syad is said to act as that drip. We have no idea what's in the Olympic-sized pool. We can't even fathom it. We're too busy losing our minds over a computer simulation called NARS that allows us to share photos of ourselves or present false representations of our lives to strangers who don't care. 
At this rate, we're so distracted that we'll never find out what's in the pool and would we want to know. The premise of the Syad is, of course, based on the godlike benevolence that, surprisingly, developed in an advanced civilization. The Emi have managed to avoid extinction long enough to evolve from self-preservation to concern for the rest of the universe. But if it weren't benevolence that compelled the Syad, what would motivate the Emi's patience? Their ongoing labor to integrate their way of life into human society. Before the arrival of the Emi in 1974, one solution to the Fermi paradox was inevitable destruction. Perhaps, given the time and space to spread our megalomaniacal wings, every intelligent civilization self-destructs. Nuclear war, genocide, technological hubris, germ warfare, pop music, whatever. Or, if there were a Type 2 or Type 3 civilization elsewhere in the universe, perhaps most of our alien neighbors have been wiped out for one reason or another, leaving Earthlings in their lonely spin around the sun for a quarter million years. Consider the premise of the factory farm. In a factory farm, tens of thousands of animals are stripped from their mothers, crammed into filthy sheds, immersed in their excrement amongst the corpses of their peers, pumped full of unfathomable drugs that cause defects and deformities, and all this before they are beaten, bludgeoned, and hacked to pieces, often while still alive. Put plainly, this is the softened, G-rated version of what happens in a factory farm. Now, why the hell would human beings treat other intelligent living things this way? Because we think of ourselves as superior, and therefore deem ourselves worthy of exploiting any resources the animals have to offer. When we obliterate the rainforests, dump toxic sludge into the ocean, or force-feed a shackled duck until it dies just so we can eat its liver, few humans do these things because they hate rainforests, the ocean, and ducks. They do these things because they lack compassion, desire resources, and do not think, let alone care, about other living things. Humanity exploits nature because we can and because we want to. That's about it. Humans manipulate animals to harm and destroy them just because humans want to satisfy appetites. Is this essential or even necessary to our survival as a species? Of course not. Could humanity thrive without torturing animals? Sure, but we don't want to do things that way. Humans even manipulate other humans to harm and destroy them just because humans want to. Human trafficking, sweatshops, slave labor, child abuse, and on and on the list goes. We are human. We are God. Now, imagine a civilization of alien life millions of years further developed, potentially hardened in their narcissism and the means by which they abuse the universe. Imagine such a civilization like humanity, hungry for resources they don't even need, their own planet ravaged to the brink of death, their technological expertise and manipulative capabilities matched only by their cruelty and selfishness. Such a civilization would spend even less time contemplating the ethics of exploiting a planet like Earth and the beings therein. Like the vast majority of humans, these aliens would not stare down at a plate of bacon wondering if it were ethical to treat a living thing with abject cruelty and then kill it just for an optional meal that is horrible for your body. They wouldn't pause in the aisle of some corporate retail chain wondering if the slaves who sewed the garment they were about to buy were treated with dignity. They'd just eat the bacon and buy the garment 
despite the fact that they don't need it and could employ their funds elsewhere for the sake of compassion. By and large, humanity doesn't care and is, on a wide enough scale, culturally sociopathic. How much worse would we be with a few million more years under our belt? In order to ensure proliferation of the word virus, you can support our efforts via patreon.com slash the word virus. Lure others to infection by sharing the word virus via social media on Twitter at the word virus and Instagram at spread the word virus and at the word 